This week on Our Thing. I love making character like, oh, this is the best character ever, and then killing it. Fantasy author Mark Matthews, a.k.a. Danza Bohica, discusses his upcoming epic, Invasive Species. When they tried to do a jack lift on the bottom of the door, hundreds of cobras escaped and attacked the people that were trying to open this door. And Anthony DiPaolo returns with more amazing legends that inspired his latest release titled Abracadabra. Stay tuned for the most entertaining hour in radio. This is Our Thing, with everyone's favorite ex-gangster, Gunner, 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 Gunner. What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 The King with Bill Crooks and Partners in Crime Podcast. Salute. Welcome to another edition. So I'm heading to New York tomorrow, heading off on an adventure. I'm going to be the guest on a very big podcast. I'm not even going to say the name of it yet. I'm just going to wait till it comes out. But anyways, heading to New York. It's going to be fun because I'm meeting up with my friend Larry Mazza, who's been a guest of the show a few times. Good dude. We're supposed to meet for dinner tomorrow. But I was thinking about going to New York. And this, this is the first time I've been back to New York since I did BookCon or New York City. I've been to New York. I've flown in and out a couple of times. So I kind of flew into LaGuardia and then I didn't spend any time in New York City proper. I haven't been there in like six years when me and Larry Mazza were there for BookCon, which was an awesome time. Sold a lot of books. That's the time when Larry Mazza got a call from Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro wanted to meet him for lunch at Scorsese's apartment in Manhattan, $25 million apartment or whatever. So it's like Larry hangs up the phone and goes, I got to go. I said, well, what's up? He's like, can you man the booth is what he said. I said, yeah, of course. I said, I got to go. What's up? He's like, Martin Scorsese just called me and wants to have dinner with him and uh, Robert De Niro. And I'm like, dude, are you serious? He's like, dead ass serious. I'm like, bro, I got you, man. Anyways, it'll be a little bit of a strange thing because not only has New York City really gone downhill in six years, but I have a lot of bad memories from New York. They're not like horrible memories, but I moved to New York years ago. I think I was 21 and I was on the run from uh, an indictment. ATF was investigating me for some stolen guns. That's a long story. But basically, I extorted some dude who owed $10,000 to a bookie and I had him give me his dad's gun collection to cover in lieu of debt. And then I sold all these guns to a bunch of drug dealers in the hood. One of them got caught with a gun and then they traced it back to the the kid I got it from. They thought it was him, not me. And he gave me up. So they started investigating me. I went on the run in New York. So next thing you know, I'm in New York City and I'm on the run. Me and my sister moved to New York. We literally have like $1,200 between us. $1,200 is all we have. I put my cat in a duffel bag and stuffed it on the overhanging thing on the bus. And so they had a 14-hour bus ride. And he sat in that bag the whole time. Didn't meow, didn't cry, nothing. I can't believe how crazy that is, Bill. Dude, the crazy thing is you're on the lamb, and one of the things you shove in your tote bag is a cat. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> what was I thinking? So one of the first things that while I'm there, my uncle calls me. He says, where'd you guys end up? We're like in Brooklyn, Bay Ridge. He's like, uh, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I got freaking to do. What am I going to do here? He's like, I find a job. I'll get a job bouncing in you know, a club or something. He says, listen, I got a couple friends in New York you can call. They'll help you find work. Now, keep in mind, my Uncle Pete, I won't say he was a gangster, but he was a hustler, street guy. You know what I'm saying? He was a mafia. So he, I mean, he just wasn't high-level made mafia. So, but he grew up around mob guys his whole life. Everybody he knew around him was in the mafia. Right. And he worked with a lot of one percenters and stuff, right? Yeah, he was bikers. Exactly. So he, yeah. he was a biker. And, and so he was a weird dude who kind of weaved in between that world between the mafia the bikers the underworld you know he, he was expelled from school like me at 15 years old and he just took right to the streets so he tells me he's like here's the number to this dude named vince give him a call 
tells me he's a mob dude. He said he's a friend of ours, what he says. That was his way of saying, you know, even though my uncle wasn't a made guy, he knew I would get it. So I call the guy, Vince, and he says, yeah, meet me at this bar. I still remember the name of it. It's called McManus in Manhattan. And I would not be surprised at all if it's still there. But McManus in Manhattan's. Now I'm in Brooklyn, so I take the subway all the way to Manhattan. It's like, you know, a 40-minute ride or whatever on the subway. So I come walking in this bar, and it's like 3 in the afternoon. So there's two people in there eat dinner or lunch or whatever, and like one other person at the bar and one dude. And I come walking up to the bar, and I sit down next to the guy. I'm kind of looking at him right next to him. And by the way, the guy looks – okay, this is what he's wearing. He's got a beige trench coat on, like a detective's trench coat, and he's got a, this fishing hat like a Gilligan-style fishing hat on. So I'm not expecting this. I'm thinking a mob guy. I'm thinking he's going to be in a tracksuit, maybe a, a suit, you know, the gold chain. No, he's got this freaking goofy-ass jacket and hat on. This guy was a weird mother ever. They call him Big Vince because there was another Vince in their crew who was a young guy. So they call that guy Little Vinny and Big Vinny. He don't look at me. He's reading the newspaper. He's like doing some sports handicapping. You know what I'm saying? He's looking at the, the, the games yeah. and stuff like that. And I'm like, uh, you Vince? He goes, you Al? I said, yeah. My, my uncle said you might have some work for me, something to do. He goes, what do you do? And keep in mind, I don't even think he's looked at me yet. He hasn't even looked over at me. And I'm only like two feet away. And he's talking to me, you know, looking dead forward. I, I think there was a mirror. So he's looking at me in the mirror. And he's like, uh, what do you do? I said, anything. And he goes, anything? I said, anything. He goes, you'll do anything. He's New York guy. I said, yeah, man, I could do yeah. anything. And he turns finally and he looks at me and he goes, You'll do anything. And I looked him dead in the eye and said, yeah, bro, for the right money, I'll do anything. And at the time, I'm ashamed to say. You're thinking gay stuff. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, I never even thought of that. Dude, that's funny. You know what? Yeah, you would think I would have thought of that. That would have been the thing. Or anything. Any little dude in a fishing hat and a trench coat. This, this guy's a freak. He wants it. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's say almost anything. Uh, Vince. Uh, uh, right. No, but in my <laughs> mind, I'm thinking murder. That's what I'm thinking. Right. That's what he means. Yeah. I don't know if that's what he meant, though. I, I really don't know. But that's what I was thinking. So he says, all right, listen, get the napkin. He writes a number down. He says, I'm going to hook you up with these guys. They're young guys like you. They're going to put you to work doing some things. Give them a call. They're good kids. You'll like them, blah, 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 blah. And so I said, all right. Then I had a drink with them. Then I left. And then I called them the next day, and it was Little Vinny and Tommy. I mean, there's two characters in my new book that I based on them, but they're in Miami, Little Vinny and Tommy. But anyways, I meet them. These guys are like mob wannabes. I guess they weren't mob wannabes. They were really just mob kids. But they were so badly wanted to be in the mafia. They're like 21 years old. They wore suits. They walked the walk. They talked the talk. So I come walking into this little restaurant on uh, 86 and 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and I introduce myself to like, what's up? And I tell him, well, I'm from Detroit. You know, I'm in a little bit of trouble. So I'm hiding. I need to make some money. I said, so what do you guys do for money? And they go, oh, there's plenty of money, plenty of money to be made. I said, well, what? Well, doing what? And they're like, oh, man, money's not a problem. We can make money. I was like, well, doing what, man? You know, then they start going into these. They got black boxes. They can sell the scab cable. He's like, for a hundred bucks, I can get you all your long distance calling forever. They they got a guy that goes up in the wire and somehow does your phone thing and gets it. Then those little voice recorder things that they program them to make the sound of money going into the payphone. Do you remember when you put a quarter in the payphone? Yeah, go, yeah, yeah. And then like every denomination of coin had a different sound, a nickel, dime, quarter. And so there's this little notepad where the kind where you say note to self, 
stop on my way home from work to get milk, right? And it's a reminder. And at the end of the day, you click it or whatever, and you go, and it says, no, get milk. They programmed it to have this coin sound, right? Coin drop, yeah. Yeah, they pull it out and show it to me. And they tell me what it is. I think it's some total BS. I'm like, this is some bull crap. Like, who's going to buy this? It ain't going to work. They said, come here, man. Let's go. He's like, call your girlfriend back in Detroit. I'm like, are you serious? Dial up her number in Detroit. And it did it. And it said, please deposit $14.25. And then all of a sudden, they go, watch this. And they put this thing up to the phone go, and all of a cling, and it goes through. I said, you got to be freaking kidding me, man. So it went through. I called my girl and I said, oh, I'll call you back, whatever. I'm like, how much are these things? They're like 90 bucks. What do you sell them for? He's like, about 150 around here. But dude, I was sending them back, like dozens of them back to Detroit for my boys. My cousin, Billy, he was a young hustler. He's like, I'll sell these freaking things. So he's selling them in Detroit. He's selling black boxes to get free. Well, plus you figure in New York, man, all the immigrants and stuff, you're calling Mexico. Right. You're calling drug like... Dealer. Uh, drug dealers needed them. They, they, this, every, this is back when pagers, in, you know, drug dealers use pagers. So you're constantly putting quarters in the phone to call people. And it could be you know, across town or whatever. So you're so this thing was perfect. But yeah, it seems like the immigrant people would eat this up because they spent yeah, a lot of money. Yeah, I, exactly. So I sold tons of them. I could do a whole show and all the crazy stuff that I did in New York. We're going to New York, leaving New York tomorrow, kind of rekindled those memories of all the crazy stuff I did. I mean, I shook down some Jamaican head shops, made them sell weed for us. I, I broke into this textile plant. I smashed a hole through the wall of the sludge hammer, was stealing all these fabrics and textiles out of there. Almost got busted. I mean, just crazy stuff, man. And my life, you know, only my life. Oh, wise guy, eh? Don't you got some street beats? Are we going to get into that? Here, we're going to call this one Narco Zoos. All the coolest drug kingpins are doing it. Goes like this. There seems to be an emerging status symbol amongst the top narco kingpins as of late. Private illegal zoos. In May, on a property owned by Jalisco Cartel's Wilder Sanchez Farafan, alias Gato, means cat, Police came upon two endangered cats, specifically jaguar, perched on a log and surrounded by iron bars. Police also discovered parrots, parakeets, and other exotic birds. The gato apparently imported from where else? China and South Korea. Of course. According to the head of the Environmental Protection Unit, the quote-unquote narco zoo phenomena is a relatively new one that coincides with the rise of an underground drug industry in Ecuador in the last few years. Police have also found turtles, snakes, furs, and animal heads on other drug kingpins property. Police seized more than 6,800 wild animals in 2022, but nearly 6,021 in Ecuador, one of the world's most biodiverse countries. In most cases, a return to their natural habitat is deemed impossible. After Escobar was gunned down by police in 93, his private collection of flamingos, giraffes, zebras, and kangaroos were placed in zoos. Once there was a herd of hippopotamuses. Is that hippopotamuses or hippopotamus sigh? Hippopotami. It can't be a word. Anyway, they were dubbed the cocaine hippos that were left to fend for themselves, reproducing unchecked, and now they're posing a major headache for environmental authorities in that area. In Colombia. Uh, Ecuador. Oh. 
In Ecuador, wildlife trafficking is punishable by up to three years in prison, much less than in many of its neighbors. And I'm sorry, if you're a narco kingpin getting raided by the cops, three years is the yeah. least of your worries. At least yep. you're worried. So the rules are lenient toward this, and they almost point to it. Last year, a monkey in a bulletproof vest was found dead after a bloody cartel shootout in Mexico. There have been reports of animals discovered that have their wings amputated, their claws amputated, all of which cause obvious psychological damage to the animals. I'm sure this kind of thing outrages groups like PETA, but I wouldn't recommend mounting an Ecuadorian protest anytime soon if I were them. <laughs> That's your street beat. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Where's PETA? Where are these protesters and environmentalists with these people? You know what I'm saying? We'll be right back. Hey, have you checked out Our Thing Apparel? It's the original gangster clothing brand that lets you represent where you live. Featuring t-shirts, hoodies, vintage tracksuits, and more. Our Thing Apparel allows you to customize your clothing for your city or state. And now, we're proud to launch our Atlanta line of urban casual wear. Check out OurThingApparel.com and use the promo code 1010 when checking out to get 10% off your total order. Make our thing your thing. Do you own a timeshare? Well, face the facts. You made a mistake. You made a bad purchase. A timeshare is not an investment. It's a money pit that continues forever. If you use your timeshare, that's great. But if you don't and you want to legally get out of your contract, call my friends right now at the Timeshare Exit Hotline. They're an experienced team of lawyers who help good people like you get out of a timeshare contract that they just don't want. Don't throw away your money on maintenance fees. Use it for things you really want. We can help you end your timeshare contract and stop the money drain immediately. If you're ready to move on with your timeshare, call our team right now. Cancel your timeshare now with a free call. 800-852-1736. 800-852-1736. 800-852-1736. That's 800-852-1736. Well, welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 The King. We are now going to welcome our next guest to the show, Mark Matthews, author, military hero, veteran, author extraordinaire. We've had conversations before, had him on the show. This guy's an interesting guy. Now, I'm a fantasy reader, and he's a fantasy-type writer, but he's very unique. Like The books he writes are the books that I would have read when I was younger. I, this is how I escaped my reality, which my reality wasn't a good reality when I was young. I was such a screwed up kid and lived in such a screwed up world, crime, gangsters, criminal, drugs, whatever. My escape would be to go to the bookstore and buy a couple of fantasy books and sit there and read them and escape. But Mark has actually written these books. We want to get to the beginning of the story a little bit now. So tell us where you're from, where you originated from. I know you were in the military for quite a long time. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Akron, Ohio, little town. Graduated from a little school, not much there. So I was like, all right, I, I need to go off and do bigger and better things. So I joined the Army initially as a medic, and I did that for about three years. I got out, went to the Ohio National Guard, didn't like that, got back into the Army. Yeah, there's some wife stuff in there too, pre-wife. Uh, so you met a woman, right? Yeah. I met a wonderful woman, got married, and uh, yeah, so I went back in the Army. And I went through Special Forces training when I went back in. I made it through the Special Forces Assessment and Selection, and then went to the uh, 18 Delta course. And that was pretty hard. I fell out of Special Forces medic portion. But... Dude, just for the record, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure you probably go hard on yourself for not making that. 
like what it says, ninety percent dropout yeah. in that type of class. Yeah. You're normal, bro. People no, you're better than normal because most people would know that they don't even have, have a, a chance. chance, right, dude? So you gotta hit the nail on the head there, really, because once I had to go back into the regular army portion, I went back to the eighty second airborne division. Yeah, I was pretty hard on myself. Well, eighty second airborne is kind of an elite unit itself. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of hard times, but you can't get down on yourself for not becoming a Navy SEAL or Delta <laughs> Force. Like I've always said, I believed I could have probably been a Navy SEAL, but you don't know. You don't know till you try. I might have not been able to do it. I've been an elite level athlete all my life. Doesn't mean I couldn't go over there and get wiped out of the class and, and you know, in the in first week, hell week. It's just, you just don't know. But some people make it, some people don't. Whatever the case, you still were an elite warrior for our country, 82nd Air Force. Yeah, Mark's a badass. Don't kid yourself. Yeah, right. <laughs> I used to be a badass. Not much anymore. You are. You still are. <laughs> Mark, you look younger than I imagined. Healthy. Well, I was born in 66, so... No, no, the no, out of here, no, bro. it can't be. <laughs> I, thought he was, I thought he was way younger than me, man. You're, you're older than me. <laughs> Is that right? What the hell? <laughs> Baby face McGiggin right here. What I thought the you hell? were 38. Yeah, all those easy years in the Army did well for me. <laughs> Ugh. It's not fair. <laughs> so you got to jump out of airplanes and helicopters and stuff. That's had to be fun. Yes, it really was. It was a lot of fun. Got a new right hit because of it. Yeah, the lots that's really hard on your body. How'd that happen? Well, it was just years and years of road marching with 50 pounds on your back and as a squad leader or a platoon sergeant. That's why you look so young. The military kept you exercising. Oh, yeah. You know, you could never let a soldier beat you. So, you know, if a soldier came up behind you trying to walk faster, you yeah, get up into fast. a run and then you're just running for 12 miles. Oh, my God. Fun, fun times, really. I like your style. I like <laughs> military guys have a certain look to them. They have a look. I'm not talking about the thousand yard stare. And I think you may have a little bit of that too. Uh, it comes and goes. Yeah. So anyways, Mark, how long were you in the military? 26 years total. Oh my yeah. God. Dude, I didn't realize it was that long. <laughs> yeah. It was a long time. You retired. Yep. Guy, it's been about seven years. I retired about seven years ago. Yeah. They take care of you pretty good as you retired in the military. They, they kind of um yeah the retirement pay. I retired as a uh, 03 captain. I was enlisted in an NCO and then an officer. You're kidding me, bro? Yeah, you were yeah. a captain. Oh, dude, you're <laughs> a bad mother. Uh, I, I got to lead a company in Iraq, and that was a lot of fun. Oh, that was cool. I led a platoon in Afghanistan. How big was the company? It was an HHC brigade, so there was a lot. Yeah, big group. We had close to 300. Yeah. That was really challenging. Yeah, I'm sure. There's probably at least 10 platoons, basically, because they had brigade in the battalion level, like the S1, which is the admin, yeah. the S2 is intelligence, yeah. S3, the operations. We, there's two sets of that. And if you were the guy, if you were the captain of that company... You know, everybody answered to you at the end of the day. Did you sleep in like officer's quarters or did you kind of stay with your unit? When I was deployed, I stayed with my unit a lot. That's the way I would. Especially when we were out driving the roads and all that stuff. Well, typically those guys, they're not a big fan <laughs> of captains because they stay in officer's quarters and they think they're better. You know, they make more money and they control all the power. So I think a captain who is going to stay with his crew get to know his guys, sleep with them, bunk with them, whatever, around them. That creates a bond and makes them want to fight for you and keep you alive. And like Vietnam, 
half the freaking guys in Vietnam, they hated their captain, you know, because they were like West Point pukes. They come in there, they're reading from their handbook. Right. This is what we need to be doing. You got guys who've been in there for freaking two years in country, survived hundreds of gun battles, and they know what's going on. And then this West Point puke comes in and says, okay, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, listen, you're going to walk us into an L ambush. We're all going to die. And they'd say, you were going to do it my way. And then, you know, that's what happened. Yeah, like Swimmer and Band of Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because I was enlisted in an NCO, especially when I was a lieutenant, I kind of had a, like a step above the other lieutenants. Because when you're a lieutenant, you follow your platoon sergeant. They kind of groom you as to what needs to happen and everything. And I still did that as much as I could. But then again, you know, I had a lot of experience and everything. But when I was enlisted, I was a medic. And then when I was an officer, I was an engineer. Well, I, I learned a lot of engineering type stuff from my uh, NCOs, but I still had a, I don't want to say a leg up on other lieutenants, but I, I, I was able to like, yeah, this guy's up and around or this guy's. Did they consider like the E5s or E8s or whatever they were, sergeants as NCOs? Right. Really? It's crazy. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. So I went from E1 right out, you know, in basic training and uh, oh, yeah. switched over as a staff sergeant, E6, became a lieutenant. So. Went to OCS at Fort Benning, fun yeah. stuff. You got a nice pay increase once you hit cap. It really was, yeah. I went from staff sergeant, I got like a, a nice bump. And then a year later, 18 months, I got a nice bump from second lieutenant to first lieutenant. Yeah. First lieutenant to captain was like another 18 months later, and that was another huge bump. Yeah, huge. It's next level. It was, it was great. Now, the only thing from there is you stick around a little longer, maybe go colonel or something, go to school or whatever, but or major here's what you would go next. Yeah, major major would have been next. My body was so broke at that time. My boss kept on saying, Mark, you you need to stay. And I'm like, no, sir, I'm I got a new hip, you know, um, my body's just falling apart around me. So I, I it was it was time. Do they still make you like do that type of PT and stuff, even though you had these lingering injuries, even though you're 40 years old? Uh, yeah, because I was still at Fort Bragg back in those days. And you know, there was a standard. You had to maintain that standard. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We had to run like four miles in 36 minutes and we tried to get it done in 34. Five times a year, you had to do a 12 mile road march in under three hours. Every Friday was a run, like a four mile run. Every Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday was road marching. That's what we need. I think every single kid, man and woman, should be forced to enlist in the military for not two years, but four. I think at least three to four years. I think every single kid who gets out of high school, just like China does, they have to go into the military. They're going to learn discipline, work ethic, physical fitness, training, respect. These are what the kids need today. You're going to drastically weaken our military. If a drill sergeant starts getting on them. Where's my safe space, sir? <laughs> you didn't use my pronouns. I'm offended. I've been out for six years and I, I still work on base at Everdeen Proving Grounds. And the military has changed a lot. You know, back as I kept on growing up from an enlisted to NCO to officer, it kept on changing. You know, it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe how soft everything's getting. It's getting softer and softer. And now it's like they don't even have a height weight standard anymore. Changed a lot. Woke. Yeah. Oh my God. And I think they've lost complete focus on what our military is supposed to be and why it exists. I know they did for a while because of you know, the, the things going on in the world today. I think that they're really starting to trying to go back to a little bit of the old army as much as they can. And you can see that in the commercials. They used to be all touchy-feely, you know, Army of One and whatever. And now they're back. You look at a commercial and they're like, oh, wow, that's that's a soldier again. It's not some... Corporal Klinger became the norm for a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and 
they're they're allowed in now and everything and uh i wasn't around during it but yeah it's changed every couple years or every time there's a new senior leadership political levels and everything that changes you know the whole system changes every time so before we get into the book that you did write do you ever consider writing books about military military and experience in the military i i weave a lot of that into my book when i was an engineer i was blowing up a lot of stuff so there's a scene in the book where i blow up a dragon and he gets blown up pretty good so i was a medic i kind of weave that little bit of knowledge that i have from the medical side and the engineering side and kind of weave that into the story itself but no i think one of the main reasons why i don't want to do that is i'd have to run it through the military because of the job i'm in they'd be like all right we need to read the book and make sure that you're not giving out any secrets or right, because of the extensive knowledge that you do have. Right, right. Yeah, that's an interesting development. I'm sure you could create a completely fictitious world based on fictitious characters. Right. But probably some of the most interesting things would be things that you're probably not supposed to share. So that means the book wouldn't be as good as it could be because you're not writing about things that, that you need to make it a great story i've written 10 novels my favorite one is called the rat's tale t-a-l-e because the name of the, the company is the bravo blue rats okay. and this is vietnam war story it's got about this guy's three tours in vietnam but i love it you know for a guy who's never been in the military i know a lot about <laughs> it you know what i'm saying i think your imagination works in a different place which is perfectly fine it really does you just because you were in the military doesn't mean you have to write military books it's an option but I'm just saying your mind works in more of a greater fantasy alternative world. That's where your mind works. You created this alternative universe. Tell us about it in the book. Well, it's a series. And first book is called The Invasive Species. The main characters are orcs. And they're in the process of being uh, destroyed. Describe an orc. So an orc is a green-skinned, big guy, big girl, super strong, um, very rage-filled. Like Shrek. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But more rage-filled. Every now and then, I think Shrek breaks out into song. Yeah. So, but <laughs> these orcs don't do that. These guys aren't breaking into song. Yeah, very menacing. They're, they're being hunted by a red dragon called Crimson Ruby. And Crimson Ruby has a whole bunch of dragons that kind of follow him. That's in the story of how this one ancient red dragon picks up a whole bunch of followers of dragons, because that's not really too normal. So these orcs, they're being hunted by the dragon. They're being hunted to extinction. So Roars, who is the main character, he starts off as a gladiator slave. There's a couple really good gladiator battles, uh, first half of the book. He escapes, runs for his life down the coast becomes a clan leader first and then he's trying to unite all these clans into one big giant hordes like druids and stuff that's the third part because we have druids that their job is to maintain balance within the realm so they're kind of overseeing they have like a, a military ops center really and they have different capabilities to watch the orc there's there's a couple chapters where they're going out and placing listening devices and stuff like that video devices it's actually futuristic it's not like elizabethan or type of dark ages type of setting there's technology um it's all based on magic so everything that i do i do is like oh yeah we do this in the military all the time but it's magic yeah it's more alternative reality bill are you into this type of thing i'm i'm loving this like i'm listening to him i'm into it bro like i i like the way his mind works i love those type of stories and just creating this completely unique universe with the, these characters and everything is specifically unique to that world. 
and with powers and magic and dragons. Like, that's as cool as it can get in my mind. When I was young and I was reading, that's where I wanted to escape to when I was young and I wanted to get in a good book. Gunner's like the guy that played Dungeons and Dragons that wouldn't get yeah, his exactly. ass kicked. Oh, I love Dungeons and Dragons. I, 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 love- <laughs> I played that growing up also. That's yeah. where I pull a lot of my information from. Do you remember in television? Of course, of course. You put the card in it. You put the little card in the thing. Yeah. Uh, I used to play Dungeons See, if I played that stuff, I'd get beat up, but you guys can get away with it. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was into it, bro. Dungeons and Dragons. That was my jam. I loved it. I couldn't play, I couldn't get enough of it. It was, it was fun. That's yeah. funny. I played World of Warcraft for a long time also, so that kind of bleeds into my storylines. But uh, got pretty deep into it, so I was like, I no longer was with a wife and family and stuff. I was like, just focused on this stupid game. So I was like, all right, I have to get away from it. And uh, so that's kind of reason why I I started writing is because I needed uh, some sort of outlet. And so instead of you know playing Dungeons and Dragons or playing World of Warcraft or whatever. I'll come home and I'll sit around and I'll uh, drink a whiskey and I'll sit back and start writing, uh, start writing my story. Bill, you like that guy even more, don't Dude, you? Dude, I couldn't like this guy any more than I did. <laughs> right, right. What do you drink with? What kind of whiskey do you drink? I like a uh, Scotch, like a Lafroy, like a single malt. Okay, very cool. I uh, I like my old fashions quite a bit. That's uh, I'll use a uh, usually an Irish whiskey with it. Like a Jameson. Um, Jameson's pretty good. Yeah, I uh, Slane is is my go to. Nice. I, I love that stuff. Yeah. Mark, well, it's been fascinating to have you on the show, hearing your story, getting a little bit into your mind and psyche. Thank you for your service. In 26 years, every time I meet somebody from the military, I shake their hand, I buy them dinner. I do appreciate your commitment and service to the country. So thank you for that. And also, I really highly respect what you do with your imagination as a writer. That's very cool that you said, I got to get out of the video game world and I'm going to sit down and write some books. So you started the series, but keep doing because there's a big market for these type of books. There's a big market. I was the guy that would buy them. You know, I yeah. keep writing your story. You're retired now. So just enjoy the ride, bro. Enjoy the process of creation, creating this universe. Don't limit yourself. Just go out there and whatever you can imagine these things do. These dragons, these orgs, all these stuff. Make it freaking massive, a huge story, and just make the characters likable, lovable, loathable. I love making character. Everybody wanted to like, oh, this is the best character ever, and then killing it. <laughs> what a downer, bro. It's, it's the best character ever, and killing him. Well, that's funny. But that's why I love fantasy books, because maybe he comes back. Right? Yes. Maybe he comes maybe back. Maybe he comes back. Yes. But I got to tell you, man, I think you have the recipe for success because A, you're a badass. You're a completely likable guy. You're completely interesting. I think you have everything you need to succeed, man. I- I'm already a fan. I've only known you like I think the key to your out. success will be commitment. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your talent and yourself. Just keep marketing, keep promoting, Amen. keep writing, keep doing what you love. Oh, you won't fail. You know that. You were in the military. You already know. Those hikes and marches and stuff, they were grueling, but you knew you were going to finish them. Well, it's just like with anything in life, whether it's a business or a book or whatever, the journey can be grueling, very hard. But if you don't give up, you'll get there. You know that. So Thank you so much. I hope everybody checks out your book. Let them know the name of the <laughs> book, you. where they can find it, and where they can find you on social media. Okay, so I'll start with my webpage. It's uh, interactive, dbohica. Uh, I'll spell it D B O. H-I-C-A dot com. Wait, 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 wait. Bohica stands for something. Yes, it does. What's it stand for? Um, Bend over, here it comes again. Bend over, here it comes again. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's my webpage. My uh, Instagram is d.bohica1. 
email is d.bohica.2023 at gmail.com. And as always, all of his links will be on the show notes in our archive sites on Spotify, now YouTube, and iHeart, wherever your podcasts are consumed. All right, great talking with you both. Thank you so much for having me on. So check it out. We have to take a quick break, but stay tuned. We'll be right back. Has someone in your family lost a job recently, and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property, and your tenants aren't paying you? We can come to the rescue and pay you cash for your home immediately. Yes, sell your home and get cash all over the phone without dealing with real estate agents or having to waste time showing your home to lukewarm buyers. You don't need to lose your house to foreclosure. If you have equity in your home, we'll buy your home and give you cash within days, all in a simple over-the-phone and virtual process. Call now before your situation gets worse. Sell a home you can't afford or just need anymore and get the cash you need today. Call this number now. 800-950-3143 800-950-3143 800-950-3143 That's 800-950-3143 Paid for by Want to Sell How would you like to get a free $100 prepaid MasterCard and save money on your television bill? Then call right now. Make the switch to Dish TV. For a limited time, we're offering a two-year price guarantee. That's important for those of you on a fixed budget to know your prices won't go up for two years. Plus, you have hundreds of channels, lots of live news and sports, movies, and more. And when you call right now, you can also ask about our discounts for seniors and those of you in the military. So, make the switch to Dish right now. Pick up the phone and call. Enjoy your television like you are meant to. And when you sign up today, we'll also give you a $100 free prepaid MasterCard. Call right now, ask about our senior discount, our military discount, and your free $100 prepaid MasterCard. 800-795-5573. 800-795-5573. That's 800-795-5573. Paid for by NPS. Switch to Dish TV today for your free prepaid MasterCard. What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 The King. I would now like to welcome my second guest of the night, my paisan, Anthony DePaolo. We've had Anthony on before. I've had him on a couple times. Really interesting guest, wrote a really interesting book. This book has got a very unique twist, and we'll talk a little about Dragonstorm, but really what we want to talk about now is his new book, and so it's called Abracadabra. But before we get into that, Anthony, for anyone who've never heard you before on the show, give them a little recap about yourself and then tell them how you came to write this story, Dragonstorm, and then how that led into Abracadabra. Sure. It's great to be here again, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Our pleasure. I'm an attorney from New York, um, and writing was still kind of is a side thing for me. I started 2007 writing Dragonstorm. I'm a big student of history and archaeology and myths and all those type of things. So it was a natural progression, loving to write, taking those ideas and stories and formulating them into my own storyline, using the real myths and legends, putting a real good supernatural spin on everything. That was the task that I I embarked on for 13 years, and that's when Dragonstorm Gates, which is the first book, first came out. And like you said, I have the new one that just was released a few days ago, which is called Abracadabra, which is a continuation, same type of story, same group of characters from the first book. And again, it takes place all over the world. It's it's high-paced adventure. It's supernatural. It's romance. It's comedy. It's got a good twist of everything that we have in our regular lives. At least me, I have some supernatural in my life. <laughs> but uh, it's got a little bit of everything in it. And it's a great progression from the first book. It's a little bit shorter, too. The first book is a heavy book, which it needs to be because there's a lot of character development, right. a lot of history in there. But now what I hope to do is moving forward, because I have about 13 more stories outlined, 
I mean, it's just kind of fire away through them. You know the characters now. You know everybody's personalities. Let's get down to the action yeah. story, you know? Yeah, you can make a faster read now. I'm sure. the same way. Believe me, you're preaching to the choir. My books are very long because a great story takes time to develop. One of the things that makes Anthony's book so cool is that in the book, he incorporates references to resource materials, source materials, websites, and stuff like that. There's actually a .com there website. If you actually go to that website, it's like, it's real. You're like, wait a minute. Is this real? I mean, let me try to click this right, and go but there. It's created for the story. Yeah. For this book. Story, right. right. I think that's one of the coolest innovations in writing you can do is make the book interactive. I love that thought of that. Like, how, why didn't I think of that? Anyway, so I think that's cool. People should check it out. I just want to mention quick, I'm working on an idea for the second part of, of the new book where I'm going to use QR codes and they're going to link directly to if I can get them produced with what software I have. Little like little mini movie, a little trailer clips, actually, that you can oh, scan with your great. phone. So now you don't even got to go to a computer or anything. Yeah. While you're reading the book, you can hit the QR code and it'll take you right to whatever this little video snippet That's is. That's crazy. Um, and I'm going to put like 10 or 15 really? of those in the book. Yeah. You like that? I mean, it's only oh, to yeah. steal it before I get it out. But, you know, I'm sure people are doing this stuff already. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to steal it from a lawyer. That's for no, sure. Not for, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's brilliant. That's actually really good. Like, Bill, right. before we move on to Abracadabra, which is a great name, tell the listeners what are you are uh, that you're reading the book you're 100 chapters in uh what are you thinking because yeah i know what you just told me in, in the green room it's crazy and i want to say like the interactive part that's not even the substance of it that's like the needle on top of the highest skyscraper in new york you know what i mean it's yeah, so crazy when i first started reading it i thought it was good and then i got halfway through and i'm like oh this is turning into a great book now i am 100 chapters in and it is absolutely unbelievable Damn you, I missed my exit to work listening to you. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's so I, I don't great, want to give man. it away, Thank but you. he's got this scene where a girl was possessed by a demon, and I was so enthralled by it that I went two exits past my work. Wow. Like, <laughs> that's I, I amazing. had chills. And I, I get chills thinking about it now. Wow, wow. I feel I feel really great. You're making me feel really great. It's so, incredible. It's It gets better and better and better, more and more exciting. More and more crazy, more and more provocative. I love it. Thank yeah, you. and he's a big reader. Somebody yeah. reads, he's a voracious reader. It's all he does is read. So, I mean, if coming from him, that's quite a compliment. The characters are very likable and they're very unique and quirky. Quite a lot of characters, but how's he going to mesh them together? And what's the ultimate plan? But I know I like the characters and I know I like where he's going with it. And you know, all of your characters have great banter, great dialogue. That's the hallmark of a great writer. You want people to genuinely hate the bad guy and you want everybody to genuinely love the good guys and you want them to understand from an emotional aspect what those characters are thinking or going through or feeling. You naturally were able to do it. So well done. Thank you. And you're going to love the new one then, yeah, because it's, it's got a lot of the same. So you're definitely going to get a big history lesson in there and then hopefully some good scares too. That's another thing I can't emphasize enough, how cool it is that you incorporate like real facts, myths and legends and these locations. The, the fate of humanity and the world is on the line. And he is aggregating this cast of superheroes, but they're not like superheroes. One's a computer nerd, one's like an accountant, one's a, you know, they're not people you would think are going to be cast to save the world. But that's why Alexander Storm, he put this team together. Because he knows everybody needs these specific skill sets in Crying Cactus Code. Without ruining the story, 
if this demonic entity is able to put these pieces together, humanity ends, right? But all they need to do is interdict one little bit. It's kind of almost Indiana Jones, little Stephen King. They've got like the third one they're trying to get. This demon woman, she gets it. She's got it in her hand. This thing attacks her, blows her head off, right? Where she's a decapitated corpse with it in her hand. And her boyfriend opens up this portal, grabs her corpse and drags it into the hole as she's gripping this thing, right? And her head is gone and he drags her in. That's one of my favorite scenes at the uh, Kitchen Itza was action. If I picture it in my head, that really played oh out. God. Really There's cool. a serpent Everybody. that's like a demonic stone serpent that came out and almost crushed his throat. Which is real. You guys, at Chichen Itza, at the Equinox, it's lined up just such that the head of the serpent and the steps going all the way up the pyramid it casts a shadow during the equinox and it makes it look like the snake is actually moving down the steps. So all I did was take that and I brought it to real life, not just yeah, yeah, yeah. life, you know? That's gangster. Yeah, there's there, stuff out nuts. there. This, this would make a great it's movie. Nuts. But you, you, is- you learn more and more of the characters. I can't figure out why they need Keith. Keith, Keith, they need for the romantic banter. Uh, and he's an antagonist <laughs> romantically, yeah. Exactly. He, he comes into a little bit more of his own in this new story. He's verging on a background type of a character, but he's there and he's part of the group. And uh, I don't think his true purpose is known yet, even to me. Because <laughs> right, it seems like he's just kind of Kate's tag along. Yes, he is. Storms into Kate. But he's also into Scorpion Chick, so. Circuit is his long true love. Right. And I already have a story planned out, which Kate's history or background is related to Alex in a way that you would never have expected. Which leads yeah. to Abracadabra. Now, Abracadabra, I just wanted to touch base on because I had such a great story from it. For other writers out there, I think it's it's really something that I wanted to talk about. I did something crazy with Abracadabra. I've been writing Abracadabra for about two and a half years. When I say writing, I mean like a chapter every three months or something crazy. Like uh, my life is busy and I was doing everything with Gates. You know, it takes a lot of time to do the promotions, all the stuff that's involved with that. I had to do some revisions in Gates. So at the last page of Gates, I put in Abracadabra was coming out on Halloween in 2023. And then what I did is I went and I set up the pre-orders on Amazon October 31st, 2023. Two weeks before the release date, I only had about half the book done. (laughs) So what I did was killed myself. I stayed up for about 60 hours straight. And I was working with my narrator for my Audible. Josh was doing my copy editing. The last day, I I had to have everything up by the 27th. So I'm sending him chapters as I'm writing them. He's he's sending them back to me. Around 11.15, it's got to be done up at midnight. He writes me back and he goes, stop here. He said, this is the perfect place to stop. You're cutting out stuff that you want to have in there. Stop here, publish this, do it as two books. And it was such a wonderful idea. And I think as I said to you guys before we started the show, I'm already 60% done with the second half of this book. So there's not going to be a long wait for people who get that cliffhanger ending. And I'm letting people know that it is a two-part book. So it's not like they're going to get to the end of the first book and be like, oh, man, um, but I will get it out very fast for them. But I just wanted to say to other authors, if the book's not done, don't set up the yeah. pre-order. <laughs> yeah, it really uh, took years off my life. <laughs> it wouldn't have gotten done otherwise, but it was trying. It was trying. It's motivational, that's for sure. But, uh... but I don't think in the first book, like it, I'm in 100 chapters, I don't think there is a good place to stop and start a new book. You know I mean, I think it had to be as big as it, it did too. And I just wanted to get it done, but I wanted to make sure I had so many ideas flying around through the years with that book and things changed over the 13 years that I just wanted to have so complete 
in case I never got to write anything else, it really covered a lot of the material that I wanted covered. Of course, Amazon wouldn't publish it in hardcover because it was so many pages. I originally looked at splitting it between book one and book two. So book two would be right where Jericho gets introduced. I don't know. You got to that point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that would have been like the second book if I had split that. But then I said, you know what? Barnes & Noble's press was going to do it for me. So I stuck with it the way it was. And, and, I, and I'm glad I did. But this one is going to work out nice as two parts. Did a lot of artwork in it. Josh Horowitz is doing the audio again. He's about halfway done. So we should have it out by Christmas for the Audible. He's doing a great job. I was just listening to some of the chapters today. He really knows the characters now too. And he's got a less daunting task with 45 chapters instead of 120. So he's really putting a lot of sound effects and things like that. And it's going to be an exciting audible on, on that end, too. Yeah, it's, okay. it's going to be a classic for me. I got my Dragonstorm shirts. Mm. I wear them with pride all the time. I own an apparel company. And normally all I ever wear is my own apparel. But I do wear my Dragonstorm shirt. So I got the coffee mug, the book sitting on the shelf. So I... You're one of those writers. I'm betting on you. I'm saying, and <laughs> you, have the, you have the combination of what is needed. Terrell Owens said this yesterday. I saw him. It's destiny. It's dedication and some other G. I'm just saying, <laughs> but you're motivated. You're also talented. And I could see the writer in you, meaning I see the creativity in you. I kind of want to ask, how does Dragonstorm resolve itself and then start in Abacadabra? But I don't want to ruin Dragonstorm. So what can we say? I can give it to you without giving it away. I can. How about we put it this way? The evil in Dragonstorm Gate is stalled. That would really? be the best way to put it. Temporarily. And there is no true winner at the end of Gate. Yeah, okay. that's fair. Yeah, they need one piece of 12 of the 12 hours of night. The they right. didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't it. get it. They did not get them. I guess we gave a lot away a lot. But you know what? It's like sometimes when you watch uh, a series or a movie or even a book somewhat into the series line, if they're writing more books about the characters, then obviously yeah. the characters continue on. Um, or it could be a flashback. Abracadabra could be a flashback. So uh, I'm not giving anything away 100%. No, but I don't think so. And it's not the result. It's the story that, that you're going to be. It's the story about. anyway, yeah. right? I, I don't think it takes anything story. away. Yeah. We watch Indiana Jones and we know that story kind of resolves itself. But then you got the next one starts and the next one starts. Sure. But if somebody says, yeah, he got the arc in the end, it didn't ruin the movie. Right. right. Exactly. But don't tell them. No, no. So, but basically, you're dealing with a majority of the same cast of characters from the good guy side. There's two or three different missions, for lack of a better word, going on. And one of them that seems somewhat innocuous at first is going to develop, and it does develop in the first part of the book that's released already right now, into a, a catastrophic set of events. And the book is shorter, as I said. So they are very quickly drawn into what is going on, and they almost don't even really know what they're facing or what's going on. So at the same time as the story is unfolding, the cast of characters that are going to do battle with the evil, it, the story is developing to them at the same time, which was an interesting way to write it. And it, it played out very well. If you liked Gates, you, you will love this book, I think. It really moves through at a much faster pace, and Gates was fast. And it really touches on some very, very obscure and interesting myths and legends and history that I had never heard about before until I started doing research. We're from the Dead Sea Scroll Caves in Qumran. We're in Israel. We spend the major part of the main battle, for lack of a better word, is in India. We're also in Italy and we're in Paris and we're all over the world. But yeah. some very interesting legends from India that I think are really going to blow the reader's mind. 
I could tell one thing from the new book. It's a location and a legend. That's a real thing. That's not going to kill anything. It's called the Padman Swambi Shah Temple. I probably said that wrong in India. And what it is, is it's a tremendous temple. It's about 1500 years old. Supposedly, they're not really that sure. Hindu? Yeah. It's completely coated in gold. And there are six vaults in the cellar that haven't been opened for a thousand years before the government made them open them a few years ago. There was 30 trillion dollars in wealth in five out of the six vaults. Wow. 30 trillion dollars. I mean, it, it's unimaginable. Wow. And the sixth vault is a demon with naga wrapped around snakes on it that they couldn't get open. They couldn't with modern tools open these locks. And the legend tells that if they do open this particular vault with all these warnings and demons and everything on it, it will bring up about the end of the world. So they are actively getting court orders in Indian court right now to try to force them to allow them to open this vault. And there's turmoil in India right now because the devotees think that they're going to bring around the apocalypse if they open this vault. That being said, you can imagine just from knowing uh, the style that I write it, this legend becomes a major focal point of the battle that Alex and, and the rest of them are. Oh, you worked it in there. Freaking yeah. brilliant, man. Cool. That sounds good. I want to go research that when we're done. Oh, know. it's unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable. You, you you, will be astonished. Wow. $30 trillion. Can you imagine? Yeah. No. Diamonds and emeralds and gold. It's like national treasure when they fi finally in the Templar treasure vault. Right. I think they yeah. said it was $3 trillion in actual weight value, which means the weight of the gold, the weight of the silver, stuff like that. And then because of the antiquity aspect of the artifacts, which is really probably yeah. priceless if you think about it, but estimated it to be at a value right. of if they auctioned this stuff off at $30 trillion. Oh, my God. Yeah. You imagine. Yeah. Which, by the way, would still not get this country added. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so why even bother? <laughs> so the question is, who got all that money? No, it stayed in the vaults. It belongs to the temple. The reason they wanted to do it is because they wanted to do an accounting so that they could tell if anybody was stealing anything from these vaults because there had been no accounting done for, like I said, one of the vaults was a thousand years since it had been opened. So they wanted a complete accounting of the assets that were in these vaults. And that's the argument that's being used to open up vault B, which is the sixth vault, is that they want to know what's in there and they want an accounting. Apparently in 1921, they tried to do the same thing with this vault. And there was a multiple level door, which has been removed since. And it was metal iron gates, wood, and then the solid steel demon doors behind the wood. So they removed the iron gates, they chopped down the wood, they too couldn't open the actual door. They were able to hear hard running water on the other side, like an ocean running on the other side of this door. And when they tried to do a like a jack lift on the bottom of the door, they raised it slightly. Hundreds of cobras escaped and attacked the people that were trying Come to open on. the door. I swear to God, this is real history. You can look it up online as soon as you hang up with me. Oh my okay? God. That's crazy. So that was, I think they said 1921. There are a couple of photographs from that time with the snakes in, in a big mass around the door, and they are deadly cobras that were on the other side of the door. So. That means it is supernatural because cobras can't just live in a vault all their life. They need a food source. No, no, absolutely. And apparently the door is sealed with, with what's called a cosmic lock. And it's actually achieving the lock through the use of like a mantra, like a hymn. So it would be a vocal hymn that locked the door. And they say there's no one alive today who knows this secret chant or hymn. 
So there's no one alive today that can actually get this door open because they cannot unlock the cosmic lock. I love this stuff, man. I'm, and the most yeah. incredible part, uh, Anthony, is that you work this into your books, which is super freaking cool. I mean, I'm definitely looking this up. Like, I'm literally going to hang up there and go look. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's great stuff. Well, listen, as always, it's awesome having you on. I could talk about this stuff all night, and I know you could, too, because you got probably hundreds of these things that you've worked in your books and you've researched and all this stuff. You're kind of an archaeologist slash fiction writer slash paranormal writer. So, I mean, it just... It's a great amalgamation for a writer. And I, I predict someday it'll be made a film or a TV series and it'll be like Indiana Jones or better. So I look forward to that. Keep that going. And please look at the first page in Abracadabra. You have been a tremendous inspiration, mentor, and help to me since I started doing this a few years ago. And I definitely uh, wanted the world to yeah. see your name in there. So I did nice. you on the Thank first page you, of the book. Thank you very much. Both of you, both of you. Very humbling. I truly appreciate that. It is very nice of you. And uh, I'm humbled that I've been able to um, even work myself into your life where I have the ability to help you, inspire you. I'm your champion, bro. I want to see you win. And I've told you that since I first met you. Tell them where they can find you in the book, the whole nine, before we go. All right. So on Amazon, it's got the exclusive on the ebook and the uh, the paperback. They do have the hardcover there too. So then you're just going to look under the Dragon Storm, which is the series name, and then either Gates for the first book or Abracadabra for the second book. And like I said, the second part of the second book should be out before the holidays. I'm doing going to do it to myself again. And that's going to be called Alakazam. So you can have Abracadabra and Alakazam for the second book, um, which has a very interesting root, both of those words in, in Indian culture, believe it or not. And that comes out in the book. Really? So you can also go to dragonstormnovel.com. And that's my personal website, which will probably take you to everything else you need to get to. At Dragonstorm Novel on Instagram, at Dragonstorm Novel on Facebook. And if you go to the webpage, dragonstormnovel.com you can join the mailing list and I, I do a couple of mailings a month where you can get some discounts and some interesting articles and stuff like that I keep updated about what's going on Birch. absolutely I got tons of merch and I'm, I'm actually designing this stuff for the new book by Christmas as well you'll be able to grab some stuff for that I made a new shirt design his merch and his book make for a great stocking stuffer or a great gift really anyone you know what I'm saying somebody who likes to read they're, they're in the disciple books like the, you know this whole genre get him the book get him a shirt get him some merch man support this guy man this guy's gonna go somewhere and as always if you go to our archive shows in the show notes i will have links and make it real easy to see all this stuff awesome Great. thanks for coming on anthony we appreciate you best of luck uh not that you need it i don't believe in luck i believe this is uh talent hard work dedication perseverance but uh make sure everybody check out his book dragon storm and then abracadabra it's a multi-part book series so you can kind of get into it if you're into the series thing make sure to check them out check them out on social media and then I guess that's it, eh, Bill? Yep, that's it. Well, God bless everybody. Stay tuned next week to 1010 The King, our thing, Fridays. We'll see you then next week. God bless. We're out. <laughs>